As she said, my name is Bruce Abbott, and I'm going to be hopefully providing some insight to everyone on how to successfully present to uh, regional chains. The regional chain that I work for is is Brown Jug, which, uh, as she said, uh, is a longtime Alaskan business. It's been around since the 1930s. Um, we had about a 12-year stint of Canadian ownership from 2008 to 2020 when it was brought back under Alaskan control by a Fogdak Native Corporation, and we're happy to be back as an Alaskan company once again. Uh, but it has 21 stores, uh, as she said, uh, over the state, ranging from 2,000-foot corner store locations to 15,000-square-foot uh, desti destination locations. And um, I, of course, work for them, and I, as she said, I have a long history in the, in the business. But for Brown Jug, I've been with them for eight years, and I manage their wine and spirits categories, which means that I'm responsible for the purchasing, the pricing, the merchandising, the marketing for all of these products across these 21 stores with 21 different assortments and 21 different uh, uh, shelf assortments. That means that I have to be really, really efficient with my time. And I think I'm not alone in that. I think a lot of regional buyers are in the same boat where uh, they have a lot of different uh, job responsibilities. We're in this interesting space as a regional chain where we're big enough that the business is going to be pretty complex, but we're small enough that a buyer has to wear a whole lot of different hats. And that means that we don't have a lot of time going back and forth with importers and suppliers when those importers and suppliers aren't providing us with all the information that we need to make a buying decision. So in this talk, I want to talk about uh, some presentations and effectively presenting to uh, chains. And I first want to kind of share how those presentations can go right and how they can go wrong. And there's a couple of presentations that I've had just recently that kind of illustrate this. Uh, I had one this past year where uh, the supplier came to me and they first asked me a lot of questions about the business, where Brown Jug was in the market, what we did well with, what our weaknesses were, what I was looking for as a buyer, um, the best way to get uh, product to us. Uh, they did their research on uh, how product made it to, uh, to Alaska and what the pricing would be once it uh, landed in our warehouse. And so when they pitched to me, they had all the information I needed, they presented appropriate products, they knew exactly what my landed cost would be, what kind of quantities made sense for my business, and they provided what kind of support they would provide after they made the sale. And I said yes to this presentation. We started out with just one pallet of one skew, a, a small start, but because of that, we were able to build the business um, because of the great support they provided on that small sale to working with dozens of their SKUs, and they've become one of the largest control label suppliers that we have in the company right now. On the other hand, uh, I receive uh, a lot of uh, pitches that look something like this, and I think a lot of regional buyers can empathize with this. We get an email that says, hey, I have a container of product sitting at the support. It's at a great price. It's a great product. Can I get a commitment on it? And there's no idea on 
There's no uh, information on how this product is going to get to market. There's no information on what my landed cost will be on this product. There's no information on how this product will be supported and how we sell an entire container of this particular wine or spirit chances are my answer is going to be no when it comes to those kind of things because those um, suppliers, those importers, aren't providing the buyer with all the information that they need to make a buying decision. And I receive a lot more of the latter kind of presentations where someone says, oh, I've got a good product at a good price, you know, uh, go ahead and, and buy that then I do something that's well-researched. And I think that for a lot of suppliers and importers, they want to think that they have this wonderful product that no one has anything like it. But the truth is, for regional buyers, our access to products across the market is larger than it's ever been before. We have more options than we've ever had before. And for any product at a particular price point, I can tell you right now, we have five other options that we could go with instead. So when it comes to making our buying decision, it's not just a price point. It's not just the QPR of that item. It's the other things, the intangibles that you can, can offer. And that can mean uh, the ease of us getting it to market. That can mean um, how quick the turnaround time is on an order so I don't have to forecast six or 12 months out. It can mean the point of sale support, the consumer education that you're going to provide. It's those other things that are going to help me make my uh, buying decision and other regional buyers like myself. And... <clears throat> To address all of these topics, um, in my experience, the most effective way for an importer or a supplier to present to a regional chain is to not just go ahead and pitch a product, but have three separate conversations with the buyer. And I call these the uh, investigation, the pitch, and uh, the follow-up. These are the three steps that I think are going to help suppliers and importers make more successful pitches in uh, regional chain markets. And the first step is the investigation, right? This is where you have a conversation with the buyer to find out more about their business and find out all the information that uh, they're looking for when they're in evaluating a pitch. So to have that full picture, you have to start with the chain itself. Uh, where is that chain positioned in the market? Um, where does it want to be positioned? What are its top categories? What kind of uh, quantities does it buy in? Um, and just looking at Nielsen data for a market doesn't tell the, the whole picture. Um, it's a conversation you really have to have with the buyer to get all the ins and outs. For example, at Brown Jug, in the Alaskan market, for example, uh, three-liter box wine is, is king, right? It makes up about 20% of the, of the wine market, absolutely huge. But for Brown Jug, our top wine by dollars, Vav Clicquot. So the presentation that you would make based off those two different pieces of information could be very, very different. Um, as a buyer, 
Am I looking for box wine? Absolutely. But what I'd really like, it's probably going to be a Vov Clicquot killer, right? Not only do you need to talk to the uh, buyer about the chain business, but then you need to dive in deeper to what the buyer really uh, wants to see. So um, the buyer is going to know what regions uh, that the chain is strong in, what uh, um, uh, price point, what kind of uh, things they're looking for as far as labels, and all that information you're going to be able to get from the uh, from the buyer. And besides these kind of tangible things like the the regions, the styles, the price point, what they're looking for in labels, there's always going to be individual things that each buyer is looking for that doesn't fall into those those categories. These kind of hot button issues that uh, each uh, uh, buyer is going to have. We're all trying to do our best to. Uh, take care of the company and make decisions in the best interest of the company. That doesn't mean that we don't have our own hot button issues. For example, I'm a sucker for uh, wood box packaging, right? I think it's great to make uh, displays on the floor with, and it's a huge part of a buying decision when I find something with a wood box. Each other regional buyer is going to have those kind of uh, likes and dislikes, and finding out that information is going to be important for you to make an effective uh, pitch. Now, once you've gone and you've gathered all this information, you've had this talk with the buyer about the chain's place in the market, about what they're specifically looking for, it's okay to say to the buyer, hey, you know what? We don't have anything in our portfolio that meets your needs right now. As a buyer, I would much rather have a supplier or importer tell me that and then come back later and say, hey, something's come across my desk, something's in my portfolio now that I think is going to work for you. I'm much more likely to listen to them and uh, have that second conversation than if they go ahead and pitch products to me that they know aren't a good fit. And most buyers are going to respect that if an importer or supplier says, hey, we don't have anything for you right now. I'm going to check back with you in six months because I have something coming down the pipe that I think you're, you're going to like. So once you've gathered all this information, it's now the time for, for the pitch. And this is putting all those pieces together uh, into the... putting all these pieces together into um, a discussion that uh, addresses everything that the buyer needs to make their purchasing decisions. So what does a buyer need to make that purchasing decision? Well, they need to know their pricing, um, which is something I find people fall down on uh, a lot as importers and suppliers, is getting accurate uh, pricing. Uh, to know pricing, you have to know the route to market and how it gets there, what the freight costs are, what the excise taxes are, uh, and everything in between. Um, of course, the quality and the packaging, uh, other uh, features and benefits, and of course, what kind of product support that you're going to offer as well. As I said before, cost is really the most fundamental part of the, the pitch, and it's the part that I find most suppliers and importers fall down on because suppliers and importers know their FOBs, right? 
but for a regional chain, um, we need to know how the product is going to get there and what it's going to cost us to get in the warehouse. When someone says, like I said, I've got a container product you know, in Bordeaux, there's a lot of moving pieces that ha have to happen before it winds up in my warehouse. And a lot of excise taxes that have to be paid, a lot of freight that has to be uh, taken care of for a regional chain like Brown Jug, which is literally at the end of the distribution network and with the second highest excise taxes in the nation, these kind of things make a big difference. To put it in perspective, I recently had uh, one of our great supplier partners offer us a deal on some uh, some control-label vodka for $40 a case out of uh, uh, their pickup location. For me to put that in the warehouse, my landed cost on that case would be $120 a, a case. So having all that information, being able to present a realistic landed cost is so incredibly important. And to know that landed cost, like I said, you have to know the path to market. Don't make the regional buyer do this homework for you. Make sure that you have a path to market, which means that you've already talked, say we're in a three-tier state, you've already talked to the brokers and distributors in the state and know how that product is going to get there, know how the freight forwarder is going to pick it up, and how it's going to finally wind up in the, in the buyer's warehouse. As a buyer, like I said, I have a lot of stuff going on. It's very easy for me to talk to a local distributor, call them up, and get them to back up a truck full of a national brand to my account. Make it that easy for uh, the regional buyer to buy something on a direct import or um, a control label um, out of a uh, you know a warehouse in California or New Jersey or wherever it may be, don't make the uh, buyer do that homework for you. Uh, quantities, of course, are something that's important to discuss in the pitch. And I really think that this is something that a lot of people get wrong because when it comes to quantities, we all want to sell as much as possible, right? We want to go big. We want to sell uh, a lot of product. But what I find that is this doesn't always work and can often backfire when we go big. Um, and I understand where this comes from. Back when I was a uh, worked for a uh, local distributor uh, for five years, I mainly handled fine wine, but it was an Anheuser-Busch distributor, which means, of course, we went through the Anheuser-Busch sales training. One of the things they pounded into us was when you have a deal, say a 50-case deal on something, ask for 100. Always ask for twice the amount that you're willing to settle for. And I think this is really, really terrible advice, especially for regional chains, which have to be very cognizant of uh, inventory costs and things like that. I want you to imagine two different suppliers selling a product into a, a regional chain. And these suppliers have sold this a product in, um, and these products have the exact same sell-through rate. In the, uh, in the chain. One supplier sells 12 months worth of inventory, one sells three months worth of inventory. The one that sells 12 months is probably patting themselves on the back. Oh, I've made this great sale uh, to this regional chain. I've sold all these cases. That's awesome. But you know what? The buyer is going to be looking at that product that's sitting in their warehouse for 12 months collecting dust, and they're not going to be super happy about it. 
they're also going to see this product that, hey, it's been a couple months. Um, I better reorder this product that's uh, selling through that only has you know a three-month inventory on hand. I better make that second buy. Um, chances are, in the long run, you're going to do more business uh, with that three-month inventory than your that 12-month inventory, where the buyer may say, hey, if I have to buy 12 months of inventory again, I'm just going to say forget it. When it comes to quality, of course, that's a huge part of, of your pitch. Um, and there's a lot of ways to communicate quality, whether it be through accolades, through the uh, sourcing of the product, the appellation that it comes from, the distillery or the master distiller that makes it. What it's going to come down to for most buyers, however, is actually having samples on hand, however. And I find that a lot of times uh, samples are a little bit uh, mishandled. People send samples before they send pricing uh, and pitch. They send them unlabeled. When you send samples out to folks, make sure that all the information that you've presented in your pitch is there with the samples. So I can pull a bottle out of a case of samples and say, hey, this is exactly what it's going to cost me. This is where I order it from. This is the quantity I need to order it from. Um, as a regional buyer, you get a lot of samples from a lot of people. Uh, there are weeks that I get five cases of wine delivered to my doorstep. And if the information isn't there with the product, it's going to get ignored. Um, shelf presentation, of course, is important. We need to know what the uh, bottles are going to look like. We need to know what the shippers are going to look like, any other sort of accessories and point of sale that go with them to make that more impressive, of course. And, of course, the other features and benefits that go in uh, with the with the product. And this is another part where I find that a lot of suppliers and importers make a little bit of a misstep because... They start talking about the features and benefits like the buyer is the end consumer. And they start talking about like, oh, this is organically grown. It's sustainable. Uh, it's aged for 18 months in French oak. It's made by this particular master distiller. That is all great. And I may personally think that's all great. But unless you're communicating that information in the point of sale that you provide or on the bottle, it does me no good. Because I'm not going to be talking to the consumer in my retail stores. I'm going to be sitting behind two screens working on Excel spreadsheets all day. Uh, so if you're going to have all these selling points, you need a way to communicate them to the, the end consumer. The features and benefits that you need to communicate to me are things that make sense for, for my business and the features and benefits you can offer to the chain. Um, the product uh, should sell itself. Or you should provide the support to say, come up and train uh, the staff that works in the chain so they can then sell the product to the consumers. Uh, product support, of course, is a huge deal. We need to know how you're going to support that product in the market once it gets there. It's not just make the sale and then forget about it. And that can be point of sale, that can be staff training, that can be consumer education. Uh, if you're in a market that, or the chain is in the market that allows in-store samplings, of course, supporting that kind of thing is going to be absolutely key. 
And finally, you put all that information together. You ask for the sale. You re reiterate all this information. And your goal with this pitch is to make it seem as convenient as possible for uh, the buyer to make a decision. So you're going to say, hey, we have this product. I've shown you the accolades. It's this much FOB, but we're going to use this, this freight forwarder and this distributor to broker into the state. Here's your landed cost. Here's the minimum buy, but if you buy a little bit more, here's the, uh, uh, the cost for that, and here's how we're going to support it after we're done. You're not going to make all of those sales, but you have a much, much better chance of, of doing it. So after you make the pitch, you're not done. There's one more conversation that you need to have, and that is following up with the buyer. And that follow-up is where you're checking back in with them. You're seeing how your product is doing in the market. And if it's not doing well in the market, uh, you need to act on that. You need to, if you want another sale, you need to take action. And that could be, hey, well, you know, I see it's not doing well. Maybe it's not getting enough uh, attention on the sales floor. Here's some point of sale that's going to help out with that. We can put it on the floor and uh, bring some more attention to it. Let me uh, get the winemaker on a Zoom call with your wine stewards, and we'll do some, uh, some uh, staff education so they can talk to consumers about it. Uh, and there's other uh, fun things that you can do. Hey, let's do some IRCs on this product. Let's do a Necker, et cetera, et cetera. But that follow-up um, conversation also gives you an opportunity because if the product is doing well and you've supported, supported it well in the market, it gives you a chance to capitalize on your success in the chain. And some of the biggest control labels, label suppliers for Brown Jug in our market are ones that started very, very small. We started off with a mixed palette of product from them, just giving them a chance. But they followed up well, they gave great point of sale report, uh, support, they supported our uh, staff education very well. And so when we had a need for more product, who do you think we reached out to? And when they had more interesting products and presented it to them, we were much more likely to say yes. And these suppliers that started out very, very small for us, like I said, are now some of the largest in the business. Sometimes we're doing uh, dozens of SKUs with them because they were willing to take a chance at a very small level and then follow up and build off those sales over time. And that's, in my view, how to successfully present to regional chains, and I'll open it up for any questions. Yes? Sure. So this doesn't have to be a uh, conversation. Um, the, the question was, how much is the time if we're doing all this like investigation step, right? But that doesn't have to be a, a conference call or a Zoom meeting or anything like that. That can be an email saying, hey, you know, can you tell me a little bit about your business and what you're looking for, right? And that doesn't take much time at all. I would much rather spend five minutes replying to that email than sit through a... 30-minute pitch 
uh, from someone who, who's unprepared. <laughs> but no, I, I think an email is important. Uh, also, as I said, you know, as a buyer, you're trying to be really efficient with your time. Um, don't cold call, but uh, set up a set up a meeting and keep that meeting short. Say, hey, I just need ten minutes of your time to to get this information. Uh, for me, like I said, I'd always rather share that information and then get a better pitch. But that's my my feeling. Do you find it at all attractive to go from a control proposition where, hey, here's the thing, here's the label, here's the juice, what have you, to more of a private label where you have the ability to provide input into the, the branding and the juice profile? Is that attractive? So the situation that Brown Jug finds in itself in, and Alaska is a small population state, right? So even though we are the largest liquor retailer in the state, we are, uh, we're pretty small beans when it comes down to it. So usually working with private labels isn't a possibility for us because uh, we can't meet minimums. Like we can't do a thousand cases uh, to design our own private label. If a control label uh, manufacturer came to me and said, hey, you're doing great with this uh, control label, uh, let's look at uh, uh, moving 200, uh, you know, uh, let's do a 200 case of this uh, private label um, that you can help design. I'd say incredible, let's do it. But personally, I rarely find myself in the position to uh, work with private labels specifically uh, because of the, the quantities that are necessary to do so, which is why control label usually makes more sense for our chain. Anyone else? Yes. Yeah, thank you. May I ask a question about the forecasting since the pandemic? Uh, did your forecasting change since the pandemic? Will people buy wines differently now? Yeah, so uh, I, I don't think that our experience has been very different than the, the, the rest of the market in that we see kind of the 15 to 30 uh, range exploding. In wine, that's where almost all of our, our, our growth is. Spirits, of course, is doing very, very well for us uh, as well since the pandemic started. But in wine, it was really interesting to see that um, almost all of our growth was in the super premium and the luxury uh, side of things rather, in the, um, rather, in the cheap, rather than the cheaper end of the business. Yes? Do you take from how many cold calls do you take and emails? So, or what percentage of those that you get do you take? Uh, so, cold calls. Um, so, this is kind of an important part that I, I glossed over here. It's important to know the communication style of the of the buyer and what they prefer, uh, because chances are, if I get a, an actual phone call in the middle of my day. I don't have the time to, to, to take a call. Um, 
if I get a, a request for a meeting that I can schedule uh, with them, and like I said, even if that's only, say, a 10-minute meeting request, I'm much more likely to, to take it. Um, cold emails are much easier to deal with, right? Because you can get to them at any point of the day and then follow up uh, with, that, uh, uh, with that email. Uh, but no, if you don't have a relationship with the buyer in the first place, it can, it can be challenging. Um, but I would say just be uh, persistent in, in uh, uh, sending those emails. I think, uh, Bruce, I'll have a follow-up question on that to help everyone. If I had to send that email, like the cold email, you know, what titles would you open? What body you would want in that email? So it's a decent first email. What would that look like? Sure. So uh, as I think I kind of mentioned, that first email should be an introduction of who you are and who you work for and the potential for business. Don't start out with that pitch. Because I get a cold email, I don't know you from Adam, and you're offering me a product in that first email, uh, chances are I'm probably not going to, to act on it. Um, because, uh, like I said, I don't think you'd probably know our business very well and be able to provide us the, the support. But if you reach out in that first email, introduce you, yourself, and say, hey, let's have a conversation where I ask you a little bit about your business so I can put together a great presentation for you, I'll take that email every time. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone. I really appreciate it.